Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. All right, guys, welcome back. Shout out to Houston. Shout out to the great state of Texas. We are enjoying ourselves, thoroughly enjoying ourselves here. We had a a crazy, tremendous networking event. Uh, Everybody came out. And um, it's just really good, really good to just feel a, the southern hospitality. Yeah. Everybody's going out of their way. Everybody's so nice. And Houston put on for us. Yeah, yeah. They, I, a, I feel like they got the message. They heard L.A. was crazy. Atlanta was crazy. Brooklyn was nuts. And they were like, we, we got to show them how it's really done down here yeah. in the south. <laughs> it's a very progressive town, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of people doing um, well for themselves, a lot of entrepreneurs. Everybody we met at the networking events, like I got the largest real estate, black-owned real estate company. I got a construction company. I got, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like everybody's yeah. trying to Getting do something. Yeah. So um, shout out to Texas. We, we, are, we are enjoying ourselves. And yeah. part of our Texas run is that we're highlighting um, people in the area and from the area that's heroes. doing their thing. Yeah, hometown heroes for sure. So yeah. along those lines, we have a very special guest today, Mike T. Brown. Hey, Houston thank, Zone. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Man, thank I, you. I, I do this when I say Houston, right? H-Town. Yeah, going sure. down. <laughs> so, yeah, no, nah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nah, for sure, for sure. So Mike is a, is an interesting guy. He has a, a lot going on. Um, he... Had a career first and foremost as a football player, football um, star, uh, two-year All-American at Duke, and um, he was an academic standout as well. 4.0 high school student. Um, a true went student to, athlete, right? Went to, yeah. went to Duke exactly. University, exactly. which is one of the top academic schools, and then um, had a career in the NFL, played three years in the NFL as well. But now he's doing his thing in, in the tech space and some other stuff we'll get into. It's very interesting. Um, but... Can we talk about football first before we talk about what you're doing in, in the entrepreneurial world? So you grew up in Texas. You're yeah, from yeah. Texas. You're from Houston, right? What part specifically? A-Leaf. We, we call it the SWAT for anybody that knows it. And, uh, yeah, we, we're proud of that. Shout out to, shout out to the SWAT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, when I heard the SWAT, I was, my brother used to live in Atlanta. I was, that's still for Southwest Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. So, well, South, act, Southwest like, A-Leaf, Texas. Okay, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Southwest side of Houston. All right. So you're in the league. Right, and we've all we shout out to the to the NFL because well the NFL players because a lot of the guys follow us on social media and we connect with so many players in the NFL and they're really into um, financial literacy right now. But when you was in the league, did, was that prevalent? Like, did you guys talk about investing and savings and tech, like real estate? And because we've all had yeah. sto- horror stories of athletes going broke, so many athletes going broke. Like eighty percent of NFL players go bankrupt five years after they get finished playing. How was it from the from the inside? in as far as you know the conversations of financial literacy if, if that was going on i mean i, I would i'll just say that it, it's certainly made some leaps and strides you know towards where i think it, it should be i mean this we're talking when i was you know 09 to 2012 and i remember like you know having the formal sit down you know with, with in the team meeting room with a guy from you know merrill lynch or whomever will come in and talk about you know different things but I think, you know, honestly, that was that was probably it, at least for me, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, my journey was a little different as I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stick and stay off the bubble, but, you know, there internally, and, and honestly, for me, there was a lot of conversation about not necessarily financial literacy, but 
guys would talk about what they're doing with their money. And it, and it seemed like everybody was trying to find their way. And it was like, I know at the time restaurants was mm-hmm. kind, oh, of wow. the, kind of the, kind of the move. And, <laughs> you know, obviously we kind of know how that, that works out, but, um, and, and some real estate stuff. And, you know, I just remember having, and again, this is a part, even part of my personal story that really led to me being where I am now is having these conversations and, and, coming up with these ideas and talking about different things. Now, it wasn't necessarily tech, right? But it was just different ideas of businesses or different, you know, ways to kind of make more money, if Mm. you will. Uh, But it wasn't specifically investing necessarily. So I think now there's a lot more kind of programming related to uh, getting players uh, to understand kind of how to how to you know leverage your money to work for you beyond the field. And one of the things that was I remember they, they always they were telling that they were really heavy on protecting your money. Right. I remember they talked about like not like understanding that the tickets that you're given aren't free. So like when you're giving tickets to people to come to the game, that's actually deducted from you. And like, you from know, pay? yeah, you look up and you got, you know, 10, 15 grand oh, worth no. of tickets. That, so how many, they give you like four tickets free. Yeah, it depends like home game, away game and like what you can get beyond that. Um, but, you know, they, I remember as rookies, they were like, like everybody's going to want tickets. And you need to understand how to say no. And like they would tell you, like, you know, you need to point people to somebody else who can be your no guy. Right. Um, so it was, little, it was things like that. You know, they mm-hmm. said, you know, I remember a saying one of the guys told us was, you know, $10,000 seems to solve everybody's problem. Right. It's like everybody needs 10 bands to like do something. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt right now. <laughs> you know what I'm oh, yeah. I got bad, this business bro. idea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just need 10K investment. And it's just like, you know, that's that's how you go broke. So it was that kind of stuff. But. I'd imagine now that there's a much more robust, you know, uh, programming around what to do with your money, how to how to manage it. I know actually a couple of financial advisors that work with a number of players. Yeah. Um, I know a pretty good financial advisor yeah. that uh, probably should work with some players. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. shout out to the league, man. We got, we got a lot of relationships with there guys. There we go, there we go. Um, so, all right, so can we talk about tech? So after you, you, you're done playing league, you played about three and a half years in the league, which is um, a good amount of time. I think the average, you said two, two and a half years, Three right? and a half. Yeah. So you're right on, on average. And that's bouncing, yeah, that's trying to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, all right, so you go into the tech world with Draper University, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a life-changing experience for you, right? Life-changing. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Yeah, and, and uh, so the way the transition happened, you know, like I mentioned, we were having a lot of business conversations. So. What a lot of people don't know is that I was prepared for law school. I graduated with a public policy degree, graduated early, take the LSAT, ready to go into law, go play. Now I'm like, okay, I think business is where I want to go. So I said, I'm going to go get an MBA, right? That's what I, I figured. You get an MBA and figure it out from there. So came home, was actually about to go to Rice. And a friend of mine, former teammate at Duke, uh, who's now in the league at that time, told me about a program, Draper University. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's a new thing in Silicon Valley. And I'm like, well, what's that? <laughs> and, and had, and this Where was, is that? Exactly. This is 2013. And, um, you know, honestly, I thought, and this is going to sound very ignorant, I, I thought he was talking about breast. You know what oh. I mean? Like silicon and, and um, silicon. You know, the, the crazy thing is like when you said Draper, like I know Houston, like Tony I thought it was Draper. Tony Draper, yeah. Right? So like I'm like Tony Draper, <laughs> right? Oh bad. Oh no, you're talking about Tim Draper. You want to talk about who he is before we talk about his yeah, university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tim Draper is a uh, legendary venture capitalist uh, in Silicon Valley. And let me just also give y'all some game. <laughs> silicon is how you say it. Silicon. Everybody Valley. watching, just 
Thank me later. It's Silicon Valley. No more silicone, okay, silicone. please. I thought, I thought it was silicon. I thought nah, it was silicon. This is not Dr. Miami. And I, I, le- <laughs> I learned this when I got out there. And, right. and, and, and people were telling me, they're like, that's how you know who's actually in tech and really, really in it is by the way they say the actual name, Silicon Valley. Oh, now we know. Don't, so, all right, don't embarrass yourself. There you go. Silicon. <laughs> silicone. Exactly, exactly. Silicone. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, Silicon Valley, like legendary VC, uh, venture capitalist, but from a lineage. So DFJ is their fund, but his father, his father's father's father, like they were actually um, apparently like some of the first VCs ever, you mm. know, in, in that Bay Area. Cole, can you, can you talk about, can you explain what VC is? Yeah, so VC stands for venture capitalists, and essentially what they're doing, uh, they're investors. But the the difference um, is that they're investing other people's money, essentially. So a a VC will go out and essentially they have to raise a fund. So they got to go out and convince people that they can identify best the best companies. And usually they're able to do that through a track record or they get people to believe in them, right, or whatever. Or, you know, in probably Tim Draper's, you know, experience, right, he had a family that was doing that and so he was able to ride that. So you raise money from, you know, big wealthy families, endowment funds, you know, you're raising that money and then you're investing that money on behalf of uh, those investors, which are called limited partners. So LPs in a fund mean I'm giving this money to this person to go invest on my behalf. And then when the return comes, like the company gets acquired, Mm. then the LPs make money, right? But it's the general principle, the GPs, uh, uh, general partners that are, you know, going through the process of finding the companies, vetting the companies, making the investment. Uh, And so when you build a track record of finding very successful companies, then more people, you, it's much easier to raise a fund. And so Tim Draper's like an early investor in Yahoo, yeah. uh, or his, a, I think AOL. His, his portfolio is crazy. He has early like investor in Skype, Skype, Tesla, Twitter, you know, exactly, exactly, SpaceX, exactly. some companies you might have heard of. Right, yeah. right, a few of them. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he, and then in 2013, he starts this entrepreneurial school, essentially. It's a program called Draper University. Now, it's not like an accredited university where you get credits. I don't think. Maybe they've gotten to that point now. But at the time, Um, It was just basically a crash course through Silicon Valley for aspiring tech entrepreneurs. And my friend told me about it. I don't even know how he knew about it, but he told me. And I was like, all right, it's in Silicon Valley. I've never heard of that. But, um, you know, I applied. And then Tim Draper himself ended up calling me. And it was a very unique situation because I was really not sure I would even be able to go. You know what I mean? Like in terms of wanting to go Mm -hmm. because it was just so foreign. I'm like, I'm here. I'm about to go to Rice. Family's here. You know, I'm going to just do that. And so uh, what I ended up, you know, once he called me, I was like, all right, Tim Draper, who I had learned a lot about at that point. That's a big beat. That's a big deal. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I, and honestly, it was the first batch. I thought he was calling everybody. It wasn't until I got there and I, it was 50-something other students. And we're all talking about how we found out about Draper. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and Tim called me. And everybody was like, what? I was like, hey, I was like he didn't call you? He didn't you? call you? <laughs> Damn, <And> homie. I <laughs> thought you was a man, homie. Exactly, exactly. I, I thought it was just, you know, it's the first batch. He wanted to welcome everybody. And, you know, well, but whatever. So that was like that pivotal moment because if, if it hadn't have been him and, you know, the, uh, the kind of standard process, I may have not decided to go because it was out of my comfort zone. Right. But I've been wanting to, to step out of there sometimes. So go out there and essentially it's nine weeks. I mean, we're learning. I mean, it was just jam packed. We're going through how to build a company, how to, you know, grow a company. We're, we're learning from founders of companies that Tim had invested in. And I remember meeting, you know, a little 23 year old Asian kid that 
you know, just sold a company for five hundred million, mm. and I'm like, hey, you, ain't, you ain't tackled nobody. <laughs> you out here sitting good, and so that's when it really triggered on me. Was like, I'm learning that people are literally building and creating, you know, the technologies that we're using every day, and I had never even heard about it. And you're talking about a guy that had a 4.0 president of the engineering club. You think I would? You don't think I would have been coding if I known about that when I was seven or eight years old? Like some people that I had met out there had been coding, had mm -hmm. been building things. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm late to the game, but I'm, I'm here and, and we're gonna get active. And so I ended up finishing number one in the program. And uh, for me, that was like halfway through the program, I knew, I said, I'm moving to the Bay and, and I'm gonna start a tech company. And so was was grinding through that and uh, was really, really optimistic. And, and you know, after that went home and, uh, you know, told my then fiance that we were going to the Bay. We, we out of here. We out of here. And, <laughs> and, you know, shout out to her because, you know, she, I could have told her I want to build a staircase to the moon and she would start chopping down trees. Like, let's, let's start building. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we took that big leap of faith. That's powerful, man. Very rare. That gets overlooked, man. Cause like, obviously like I have a wife and it's like, they're like, how are you able to do all these things? And I'm like, yo, strong support. No, strong me. support. And, man. Honestly, and man, it, it, you know, for me, it's, uh, I don't even realize, to your point, how rare it is until, <laughs> until I'm talking. I, I, I never take it for granted. I never yeah. take it for granted. And uh, shout out to my wife, by the way. What's up, boo? Yeah, shout um, out to her for sure. You know, she, you know, <laughs> and, and for me, it's like, uh, that is the only way I'm able to really do it. Now that we really, really in the game, yeah. the tech game, and you know, when we look back on, I mean, that was, you know, five years ago, uh, which which is crazy where I didn't even know what the thing was. And, and here we are fully immersed uh, and, and actually doing well. And her early support is really what, and even encouraged me. You know, what I mean, during that time, where it's like I don't, even, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I don't know, but I know I want to get into it. And she's like, I don't know it either, but let's let's go. I believe in you. So, you know, went home, and that's when I spent time learning how to code. We had had a daughter, and I'll be honest, we was living in my mama garage. You know, not the garage, but I was in the garage. No, we're gonna, we're gonna say garage. It sounds better. I was, no, I was <laughs> coding in the garage. We weren't living in the garage. You know, saying so we have no infant out there, but we was in the house. But I would be in the garage, like literally banging out code and like learning and teaching myself. So I created a curriculum, and I, and for me, it was like I'm hearing that people know how to code and this tech thing, and and like I, you know, anything I want to put my time and, and effort into, I want to be the best. And so, boom, we we I'm like we're going to going to the bay. We get out there and, you know, I, I got one goal, start a company. And, you know, get out there is not a lot of me, not a lot of folks that look like me, but, you know, I, I'm coming also from Duke. So, you know, I was, I was, I was okay in that environment. I, I could navigate. Uh, and so I ended up working at a startup because I said, you know, before I jump out there and try to build something, let me, I'll, at this point, I only had about nine weeks of a program and some lines of code behind me. Uh, and so I was like, let me go work at a company. And that's where uh, I got hired actually at a company called Keep. Uh, in the Bay Area, you know, your traditional Silicon Valley tech startup, they had raised about $10 million at that point. Um, and they were actually ranked higher than Airbnb at that time. And uh, Another Silicon Valley huh? <laughs> operation. <laughs> exactly. Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was, it was um, you know, shout out to them because they gave me an opportunity. Again, I have no experience, but they, they no. you know, I came on basically entry level on the growth team. And uh, within about five or six months, you know, based on my performance, I was now in leadership, you know, and that was one of the things I loved about tech as well. Now there's a lot of issues and, and things that still need to be uh, addressed, but when it came to merit-based kind of promotion and moving up, as long as you're creating value in that in that company, 
because again it's all early stage and you're trying to exist you're building something that has never existed in the world that's my my definition of a pure like true tech startup you so, can, like an entrepreneur you can open up a barbershop or you know food truck or whatever yeah. but to be building something that hasn't existed in the world there ain't no googling how to do xyz how what's the business model well, for this it's interesting that you say that because in the next segment we're going to go into what you're doing now mm-hmm. and you're trailblazing you're kind of trailblazing your own set um but it's a backstory how that came in about so we're going to go into that in the next segment all right so now we ain't going to segment two and uh, we're going to talk about your company win-win but before we do that so all right we got to talk about fantasy football, right? We have briefly talked about fantasy football, but it's a billion dollar industry, right? And fantasy sports. Really. Well, fantasy yeah, sports. Yeah. yeah. But football is the biggest sport in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's the biggest fantasy sport. But yeah, fantasy sports in general. So, all right. <clears throat> you find out about the power of fantasy and then this kind of leads to some ideas for you, right? So can you talk about that? Because you, you, you kind of told us a story off camera, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. No, nah, for sure. So, you know, uh, I'm in the Bay, I'm in, you know, working at a company. And and again, my goal is to start a company. And and I'll just say real quick, one of the things that changed in my mindset being in Silicon Valley was the fact that um, people approach problems differently, right? Or they took it further. Anybody and everybody usually can identify a problem or a pain point, something they don't like. But what I recognized was that people out there in particular were taking it further and saying, what could I do about that, right? How could I solve this pain point just for myself? And then turns out millions and billions of people have that same pain point. Now you have, you know, a company going. So pain, pain point. That's a pain, that's like what does that mean? Yeah, and it's not like a physical pain. No, point, no, right? no. Like your back hurt. I mean, yeah. that might that could lead to some innovation, but it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't like how these mics, like it's, you know, I needed to be able to do something else. Like my back hurting because I always yeah. and then like, you know, if if you could how could I change that? Versus just, you know, doing like, all right, whatever, I just gotta get used to it. It's like, mm, let me look at this microphone. Let me, you know, you start kind of analyzing it a little bit because this pain point of always having, to, again, I'm just using a no, random no, example. It but, is a pain point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there we go. Let, let's, let's get the whiteboard out and, and start figuring, out, figuring this thing out. Right and, after this one. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of taking that next step and saying, okay, what can, how can I, how can I hack something together just to make it better for me, mm-hmm. right? It's usually how it, how it happens. And then, you know, from there, you start to really develop something out. And so that was what kind of was new for me as I was looking at different problems and a big problem that jumped out for me in particular. And these pain points are usually specific to your own experience, right? Right. Your pain points may be different from mine because we walk a different path or whatever. And so for me in particular, when you look back at my history, right, I'm a former athlete. And so their athletes, current, active, former, all have a special place in my heart because, you know, we have that common bond. And when I looked at fantasy sports, Right. I started to learn a lot more about it. I always told people, you know, I didn't play fantasy. I play reality. <laughs> and, you know, I never was into that. And, and but I, what I did recognize, you know, particularly in FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, DFS, which was kind of new compared to traditional season long fantasy. Right. You know, I was like, wait, these companies are making billions of dollars. Right. And at the time I was talking to a lot of friends in the league, asking them, how do you feel about, uh, you know, fantasy? And overwhelmingly, the the answer was, I don't give a damn about it, you know, because I'm not making any money uh, whatsoever. And I learned that the companies are making billions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? And the and the players plastered across their platform uh, aren't getting uh, any money out of that. And I just didn't, that didn't sit well with me. That was a pain point that I was like, all right, that's, somebody has to okay. fix that. I, right? have a, I have a pain point that revolves around 
fantasy sports. It involves me losing a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're going to solve that pain. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> when, when I, I'll show you exactly how we do that. But, uh, you know, and that was something where I was like, okay, that's that, that something's not right there. And then on the other side, I started to learn about fantasy from the consumer standpoint. A lot of guys I was working with were, were really into fantasy, and they were telling me about – I started to learn actually why people were playing more or less because you're losing money, so you ain't playing for money, right? right? You're playing because it's fun. You can you know talk smack with the friends, you know things like that. And it's you, like a whole culture, right? It exactly, is. exactly. And because and it's addictive, right? It's addictive, especially yeah. like when it was the season long one. It was okay, right? You talk trash, you know, we, probably like Monday morning, Tuesday when the week is over. But the daily one, it was like, yo, I gotta have my lineup in by seven. Yeah. I gotta have my lineup in by six thirty or. Yo, I about to have my lineup in for the eight thirty uh, game. It was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. yo, this this never stops, and it, be, just, it just became an addictive thing. I mean, it, it is gambling. Yeah. Let's, let's be clear. But uh, and well, you know, it is. Yeah, no, it is. No, it, to no ways around it. It's gambling. It is. Yeah. yeah. And now, and that was where you know, for me, um, I recognized a problem, right? Particularly for athletes who weren't getting any value out of this thing. I saw that it was highly, you know, engaged by sports fans, right? And so I said. That was where the idea for win-win um, even came up, right? And I started talking to players. I started talking to the, the consumers, the users of these platforms, and I was just getting a sense of, you know, they're losing money, but it's fun. They're competing. It's addictive. And I, you know, I basically proposed the question to one of my coworkers one day, and I said, what if the money that you're losing, what if that money could go to something more impactful, like a charity that, let's say, an athlete cares about? And instead of competing to win money out of that pot because it's gone to charity, what if you could win something that money couldn't buy, right? Like a game-worn autographed jersey or, you know, dinner with your favorite player. And it was an overwhelming, hell yeah, I'd do that, you know? And it was like, okay. So then I go call my, my buddies in the league and I say, hey, what if I could get your fans? I know you care about your charity and your foundation a lot. Uh, and this was another unique insight that I had because I had a foundation as well. and I knew that players, we want to use our platform for good whenever possible, if it's easy and efficient. Right. And so I said, what if I can get your fan base to through this game of sorts, support your charity by donating to it? Is that valuable enough for you to, you know, sign a couple autographs or call somebody on FaceTime? And it's like, yeah, that's easy. You know, we do that already through certain things. So you have your own 501c3. I, yeah. So. Outside of like the company and our and we we got a for profit and a nonprofit, but before I even started when when yeah. when I was playing, I had a nonprofit okay. um, called Team Guinea. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Toby Nuigwe, uh, probably one of the fastest growing artists right now, uh, coming out of the SWAT. He uh, he and I started it with another friend of ours, Jeff, and you know we were you know making purpose popular was was our was our mission. So we understood the pain points around trying to raise money. So gotcha. took that experience along with my my athletic my athletic background and that's where we came up with this, you know, concept of win-win where I said, "Okay, we're going to leverage gaming, right? And we're going to now drive more value to what the players truly care about, right? Mm-hmm. Which is their philanthropic efforts." And um, that was the birth of win-win and, and how, we, how we started. And that was uh, the end of 2015. And I was working at a company when I came up with it. And so I just started to do market research. And like I said, I'm learning how to, like, how, what the steps are you take to, to build a company. I, I'd never known. So through, through Draper and, like, at that point I had built a network of other founders, particularly black founders, that I was really, like, 
we were all lifting as we climbed. You know, I knew even at that time, I knew I, I would see three, four founders, boom, jump out there and, and go start something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew folks like, you know, Deshaun, the, the founder of Maven, you know, shout out to Deshaun. He, you know, a brother out of Oakland, you know, is, is running Maven, one of the largest hair weave kind of tech companies uh, in, in the world, probably. And so, you know, to see guys like that just continuing to push the envelope, you know, really motivated me. And so I was like, this is this is why we're here. I was actually my wife, I should say, was getting comfortable with kind of that tech check. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were in the Bay, you know, living that living that life. And it was like, that's going to have to stop because it's time to get active. So you have you have the idea. But one quick thing about fantasy, you had said one percent of fantasy players win 90 percent of the money is that true yeah so in that in that research that i was doing um less than one percent at least at that time right this is 2015 when you again you couldn't get away from a FanDuel or DraftKings ad you know less than one percent of the users on those platforms were winning over 98 percent of the money uh and again that was for me it, it was mind-boggling that you know you're just continuing to lose money why are you playing? And that was where I started to dig into what the real kind of, so we, you know, for us, we want to pull out the best parts of gaming and gambling and combine it with giving. But that was kind of the, the data I was learning. And then you start to learn about the algorithms that the scripts that people are writing, mm-hmm. they can create, you know, a thousand lineups just like that, you know, and, and, and they can bankroll the actual tournament uh, by, you know, being able to cover all those entry fees, knowing that they're going to take everybody's money. They were calling them sharks. Where they're coming in and scooping up all the minnows, probably yo yeah, bread I, included. Yeah, listen, man. I one, <laughs> I'm telling you, one day I literally went through every game that I had lost and saw the same names, and I just compiled a list of 20 people, and I called my boy up, Larry. Shout out to Larry. He he's another guy who does uh, fantasy sports. fantasy legend. Fantasy legend. He is a fantasy legend. He actually <laughs> he actually did win some money. Okay. But it's the I, the the thought that I could win because like you might get like you go into these low level entry gambling. games. <laughs> it is gambling. Two dollar games and you you might win a hundred dollars. I, I actually won a few times, but um, it in the long run, right? Those sharks, they always flood the room. So it's like you know what I. I can't beat them because the sharks. Bankrupt. Sharks always eat fish. Yeah, and in I, life you're either a shark or you're a fish. I was a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was a goldfish yeah, in the family. Up quick, <laughs> real quick. So let me ask you this. All right, so okay, so you actually have a really good idea where you 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 like you said you um you take the the best part of if there is a best part of gambling you take the best part of gambling and you take charity which is always a good thing and you kind of combine it with sports, which everybody loves, and you have incentive bonuses. It's a really good idea, right? So what's the next step as far as um, putting together, we're gonna talk about funding in the next segment, but before we even talk about funding, because you said you didn't have any any background in building a business, you went to Draper University, that helped out a lot. So what steps did you take to actually build out the platform? And obviously you've leveraged your relationships with the players in the league. So. How did that look as far as your business plan and, and actually putting that together? Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, for me, again, I, when I moved out there in August 2014 or June 2014, there was one goal. So even as I was working at that company, um, I'm gleaning as much knowledge and information as I can. Like, hey, how did y'all, you know, who's y'all's lawyers? Like, who did y'all say, how, who set this up? And, you know, just building a network of other founders that were, you know, far ahead, you know, just started, you know, other people that had ideas and it was just like, so what did y'all do? Because again, the thing is, there ain't no Google for for this stuff. Now, you know, there's some information out there for sure, blog posts, different things. But, you know, what I was mentioning earlier is like a tech entrepreneur, 
is very different from a regular entrepreneur typically because you know entrepreneurship is is broad you could go you know open up a food truck or a barber shop and you're an entrepreneur and, and and that's more power to you when you're a tech entrepreneur is a little different typically because you're creating something a technology that has not existed in the world yet mm. right and so there is like you can look up all the literature you can on you know the business model for a barbershop and where you get the clippers and how much you charge in booth rent and all these things and that's great right that, that roadmap is there when you're building something that hasn't existed that that's not there so all you can really do and i talk a lot about these uh, data points that i call them and it's really insights it's conversations that you're having with different people and for me i want to be a founder i want to start a company so i'm going to ask and talk to other founders and see what they went through how they're doing different things now it's going to be very different for me likely because we're running totally different companies right because what they're building hasn't existed what i'm building hasn't existed and so i'm taking these very relevant data points right so i'm not talking to some guy that's you know doing something in you know west palm beach florida that you know is not relevant to tell me what i should do to start win-win i'm talking to folks in in the midst of it all and so i was just gleaning that information and, and really those data points allow you to make the best decision the best informed decision you can so you know who what's the first hire i should make or you know how do i set up a pitch deck what's the story of the of the company how do i set up the business model right none of this stuff existed and mm -hmm. so you have to make you have to make the best decision you can that's why there's a ton of uh mistakes that are made and those data points surrounding yourself around with great advisors people that have done this successfully helps you it does you're never going to be perfect but it definitely helps you minimize the number of mistakes because if you can minimize the mistakes you have a much higher chance of reaching success and that's what i learned in the first few years of any company it's really not about reaching success it's about survival how many people are, are on the team i got five people right now and through that process what was the selection process for them was it people that you knew or you sought these people because you saw or knew the history of their work so um a lot of the early hires you know they come through referrals right because other people like love what you're doing and they may know people that's usually the best form of, of finding a great hire because people that you're close with come highly recommend you know can highly recommend somebody uh, I'll, I'll be honest one of the big learning curves for me in, in starting win-win and, and happened very early on is a very expensive uh, lesson was hiring and that was the thing that you know I didn't have a process in place at first and I didn't go through the proper procedures to really vet some I literally hired like two or three people because they went to Duke <laughs> and like that was it like you went to Duke oh okay alumni we out here though but you know and, and it was more or less that we weren't ready to have I mean we had 10 people full-time pretty much before we ever even launched the thing and uh, we went in with a lot of assumptions so uh, that the hiring process is, is key and now you know we, we learned it was a very hard lesson to learn an expensive lesson because you know we paying Silicon Valley salaries too and uh and that ain't no joke and so you know changed course you know corrected it and now we're going we're literally in that process now that we've moved uh back to houston we got we got recruited to move to houston and be a part of houston's tech boom that's happening now uh and so we're, we're thrilled about that and so now we're implementing a real real thorough process you know in, in vetting people making sure and we have a much better understanding of what we actually need too because we've been doing it so now we have a very clear roadmap. we have governance we have board members folks that weigh in on these decisions so but you got it you got to get to that point and so 
Um, it, it's a very, very tough road. And, and I applaud anybody, any entrepreneur, first of all, right? Just because there is a roadmap doesn't mean it's going to be an easy way mm-hmm. to get there. But especially those that are build, building something that hasn't existed, right? Who have to create that roadmap and then worry about somebody else, you know, trying to take over and, and beat you out. So a lot of respect for anybody that's gone through that process because it is a is it a taxing one for sure. Governance. Very good word. Very key word to understand <laughs> in business. Very, very key word <laughs> to understand in business. All right. So, um, so okay. So can we talk about how you've leveraged your relationships? Um, because... So a lot of times people are put in situations and they don't fully maximize their relationships, right? And this is key in anything. You can work in Walmart, but you have a relationship with somebody. So you was in the NFL, but you didn't squander your time in the NFL. You built key relationships, and now you're using those relationships to help in your business, right? So you talk about that because obviously I think that that's a, a key component yeah. as far as the success of, of what you're planning on yeah, doing. Yeah, you have the ability to do things that the average person doesn't. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, you know, I think... One thing I always remember learn and learning at Duke actually is that your your network is your net worth, right? And um, I, I've always taken approach, and, and it wasn't until recently where I, I was reading a book called Give and Take by uh, Adam Grant, and it's a phenomenal book that talks about you know your relationships and you know who who you are. Are you a giver or are you a taker, right? And and for me, I realized that I've been a giver because when I talk about like networking. You think about somebody who's like, I'm going to network or I'm going to meet somebody really just looking to see what I can get out of them. Mm. Right. And, and I usually am coming and, and I've, I've noticed this by myself. I want to figure how can I help you? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I look to build very authentic relationships. Right. I don't want nothing from you. Right. I'm, I'm grinding, trying to make it happen myself. Uh, I don't want to come in and just be trying to extract value. I always want to add value. And so even when it came to the players, right, as I like. I got a handful of players that I remember talking to during that time. And, you know, I'm just, it's really like, it was a, it was a, uh, a back and forth, like real, just authentic conversations about, man, this tech thing is crazy. Like I'm literally in the middle of it and they're like, man, like, tell me about that. And so we're just having these conversations. It wasn't like I was hitting them up with a direct, you know, motive, like, Hey, yeah. need you. I need to leverage you. That's the only reason I'm calling you. Like I, mm-hmm. I have authentic relationships with these guys that, you know, again, we talk about life and, and all these things. So when it came time to talk about win-win and develop, and even including them in the development of that idea, um, you know, it was it was a natural, you know, a fit for them to say, yeah, bro, like, let me know. Like, I'm, I'll definitely host a tournament or whatever, you know, whatever you need. That sounds dope, you know what I mean? And so it's building those relationships. And, you know, my whole thing is we want to add value even from the business, not even just me personally, I guess that goes into the business, but um, you know, we want to be adding value to all the partners that we work with. And, and we we're starting with athletes, right? But uh, we've, I've, I've now been talking about this expansion map that we've already laid out and have already begun to where we're now going to start working with entertainers, artists, influencers, teams, universities. We really built win-win as a platform that will help any entity of influence mobilize an audience in support of a cause. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so one win, obviously, fantasy is, is huge in the NFL. But you are you crossing over to other uh, sports leagues? Oh as yeah, one hundred percent. So we, you know, today we have one hundred and fifty athletes across the NFL and NBA. Okay. Um, and and to be clear, we've been in our beta phase, so we've been very much so under the radar. Um, you know, testing, making sure that was one of the things that I learned in this kind of tech flow. Right, is that you gotta you gotta secure what they call product market fit. 
right? Because in your mind, it's, oh man, it's a perfect idea, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you may even do some surveys or ask people, would you buy this if this was available? Oh yeah, for sure. But as soon as that, soon as that paywall come up and the uh, credit card, uh, what had happened, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so now you, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't went out and, and invested in all kind of stuff to build this thing without ever really properly testing it in the market live. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And so we had to really go through that rigorous testing process and shout out to our early players because we couldn't guarantee what was going to happen with their tournament in terms of like, we can't say, Oh, you're going to raise, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for your charity. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know. Cause we were like testing this thing out. And so, <clears throat> you know, these guys actually ended up becoming investors because they saw like the grind, they saw the, the trajectory and uh, you know, so we're, we're, we're expanding across all sports very soon. Yeah. We'll be scaling vertically to now working with, you know, Spike Lee could host a win-win tournament for NBA yeah. Pick'em. You know, you join, donate to Spike's charity of choice, and now you get to win, you know, courtside so, seat to the Knicks. It's, or like a, like a Phil Ivey. Mm -hmm. You know what Phil Ivey is? No. He's like the world's greatest poker player. He's black. Oh, he's yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he can do like, like a, a World Series of Poker. But for charity, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. So, so is it a traditional uh, fantasy uh, format where – uh, performance is based on a skill, I mean, on a scoring point system, and then at the end, whoever has the most points gets, gets the, is the winner? Or do we do like head-to-head, -head or is yeah. it 20 style? Great question. So first, let me be clear. It's not what people would consider, or most people would think of fantasy. It's not daily fantasy. It's not FanDuel, DraftKings in terms of the game. Okay. We like to call it fantasy style game. So it's, you're making predictions, essentially, of who's going to win the game. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, in short, how it works is, you know, a player is hosting a win-win tournament, promoting it out to fans. When they come to the platform, click the link in the bio, they come, and then they're joining the tournament by simply predicting who they think is going to win, you know, this upcoming weekend's games, okay. right? There's 16, 17 games on any given week in the NFL, so you're just literally predicting the winners, nothing else. Mm -hmm. And, and you're, everybody who joins that tournament, we're all on a leaderboard, and we're ranked based on the accuracy of those picks that we've made. And, and upon joining, you're then given an opportunity to make a donation, fully tax deductible to the player's foundation of choice. Uh, and there's other perks and benefits that you can unlock by doing that. We have what we call karma coins. So for every dollar you donate, you earn these karma coins, you can un unlock other perks and benefits. But when those games kick off, you're earning points not based on the size of your donation, which is, you know, that would be like a raffle, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you're earning points based strictly on the accuracy of your prediction. So you're going up and down on the leaderboard as these games are happening in real life. And something unique is that the, the leaderboard is changing every five seconds, not based on who won or lost the game, but who's winning or losing at that very moment. So as you got oh, five okay. or six games happening, it, I mean, the score is going up and down. And you're just, I mean, it's, it's going crazy. And we keep, and that's that's what I said, we're taking the best parts of that kind mm -hmm. of gambling. How many people in a tourney at a time? Is there it, max? it varies, it varies. No, it's, there's no max. Okay. Um, and, you know, it can vary, varies based on the player, the level of promotion, things like that. Okay. But the, the key is that they're not competing to win money, right? So those are, the, those are the visceral kind of feelings that we took out of gaming and put it into win-win. And they're not winning money, right? They're winning experiences that money can't buy, like mm -hmm. having dinner with the player after the game, or courtside seats, or autographed jersey, whatever. I mean, we've done, we've done a private jet ride. Patrick Peterson took the top three winners on the leaderboard and flew on a private jet with him to Baton Rouge for the LSU versus Alabama game. Of course, I mean, uh, sideline passes, locker room, the whole nine. And uh, those guys collectively, or on average, I think, donated about thirty, thirty-five bucks. 
but they were the top three winners based on their scores in the, in the le- on the leaderboard. And that's what we call gamified giving. And so that's, you know, everybody's competing, but the unique part is that everybody wins also. It's not a one winner take all, which I think is, uh, you know, if you're in first place, you get the jet ride, 10th place, you get the FaceTime call, 100th place, you get an autographed jersey, all the way down to last place where you'll get $20 in free lift credits as your prize. So as a fan, you've competed, you've contributed, and you've won something. And for us, we didn't go with that model really because it sounds good. We did it because it's acquisition and retention driving behaviors. Again, we're building a a profitable or a for-profit company Mm -hmm. that is looking to return capital to our investors 10x, which means, you know, somebody comes scoop us up for $700 million or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And so we have to think very strategically about the business model, about what are these triggers that will get people to come back and uh and and donate what'll get people to come so acquisition if you know you see your favorite player hosting a tournament promoting it knowing that you're guaranteed to win a prize you're more inclined to actually join absolutely right versus joining a raffle yeah. i'll win something right but more importantly if you look at your pre- your predictions and let's say you got one of the brand sponsored prizes like lift credits you're going to look at it you're going to be happy about it but then you're going to say man if i would have made these seven different picks I would have been in tier two. I would have got the autographed football. So what do you do? You come right back next week and try again, mm-hmm. donate, boom, whoop-de-whoop. And so now retention, acquisition, you know, these are the things that really drive a business as we look to, you know, drive revenue and, and, and valuation. So That's powerful. All That's right. Dope. So in the next segment, we're going to go into the most important part of any business, funding. But Gotta it's a little different. A little different. We're going to talk about um, equity crowdfunding, something that, most people aren't too familiar yeah. with so we haven't covered um, so we yeah. haven't covered it yet so um yeah we're gonna go into it all right so now we're gonna talk about something very interesting and um something actually when you when you contacted us you brought up a good point you're like i don't think you talked about this yet i'm like you know what we haven't so yeah. let's talk about it dm right yeah um so yes equity crowdfunding right so people might not be familiar with equity. Well, crowdfunding in general is a way to raise money from large amounts of people, right? Yeah. So like the most popular form is Kickstarter. Right. People, things like that, right? It's Kickstarter where you, it's kind of like a donation kind of charity thing. Sometimes you can give people like t-shirts, for, but it's pretty much, they're not getting nothing in return for that except for just goodwill. They want to support you, right? Mm-hmm. Now, equity crowdfunding is something that is new. Yep. That came about um, from President Obama's jobs bill, if I'm not. Um, yeah, the Jobs mm-hmm. Act. And um, yeah, so can you talk about that? Because it's pretty interesting. Yeah, no. So, you know, one of the any business, right, uh, particularly within in tech companies, right, you have to raise funding. And um, for for, you know, decades now, right, the way you do that is go to an investor, right? You pitch your vision to that one individual, usually or a fund. And, you know, they make a decision on if they're going to give you the startup capital that you need to go build this thing. And in exchange, they get equity, right? They get ownership, part ownership in the company. And that's how it's been done for ages. Now, one of the things that it has created is a very big gap in terms of wealth and the access to generate wealth. Right. When you talk about um, angel investors. Right. And, And again, trust me, like I've learned all of this stuff in the last yeah. Five years. I didn't like I said. I didn't even know what Silicon Valley was or the word. And so, um, this was all things that I had to learn on the go. But when it comes to angel investors, these are basically wealthy individuals that are investing their own capital, like out their bank account. They they're investing in the companies, getting equity. Uh, and then when those companies go on to do very well and get sold or IPO. 
then those angel investors, those wealthier, those wealthy folks get even more wealthy, right? Because they get a return on their capital. And so it was creating this gap and, and, you know, shout out to Obama because he, you know, saw that there was a disparity there and, and thought that anybody should be able to have access if they can access that deal, right? Because um, there's, there's, there's part access, but then having the capacity to even get involved, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the, he created the Jobs Acts, right? It's jumpstart our business startups and it is, you know, it, it's it's actually a whole lot of different things. But one of the things in there is equity crowdfunding. And what it does is it gives founders of companies the ability to open up the fundraising um, to what they call non-accredited investors. So that angel investor that I mentioned is going to be an accredited investor. And, t- and to be a, an accredited investor, you have to make $250,000 a year or more, at least for the last three years as your tax, you know, um, paperwork will show uh, or have a million in liquid assets yeah we can see how that could be a problem like especially in the communities we live in it's like how many people do we know that make two hundred fifty thousand as a combined family exactly. right to, to exactly. have somebody that one person make it it's it's like, a, and and as a, as a group actually you can you and your spouse collectively have to make three hundred thousand right and so they even make that bar go right. a little higher and so uh or have a million in liquid assets and that's it that's the only requirement is 250 and a million in assets or a million in liquid, Li- liquid, assets. liquid, liquid. So it can't, basically, it can't include your home. Your home right? It got to yeah. be something like a, a retirement account mm-hmm. or a bank or um, stock, stuff like that. Right. Things that you can liquidate. Yeah, liquidate, yeah, quickly. And so that's, you know, that, and, and honestly, it, or, or like what I looked at in the research I've done, it's that's about eight or nine percent of Americans, right? And um, so the 91 percent, essentially, right, can't. Uh, can't even access that deal. Even if they know the founder of XYZ company, they can't, you know, invest. Even if they happen to have some load of cash that they came across or whatever. But so what Obama said is, you know, through the Jobs Act, um, now anybody should be able to access that. So in 2016 is actually when it went through. And now you started to see the rise of these equity crowdfunding platforms. So the, the thing that you have to know is like, if I run a tech company or a startup, just because you know the Jobs Act exists doesn't mean you could just walk up and give me some money and say I, I want to be an investor. The companies have to go through. So this is all sanctioned by the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of formal terms I won't bore you guys with, but um, you you have to go through a very extreme vetting process. So first, there's the platform. So you brought up a good point. Kickstarter, Indiegogo, right? These are forms of crowdfunding. GoFundMe is a is a crowdfunding mm-hmm. platform, right? And again, to your point, you're raising money for something from a large crowd of people, hence the name. Um, the, I, the origin of the word crowdfunding itself was based on a rock band. Like, they, really? yeah, they, they couldn't get money to go on tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. their fans came together to say, like, let's fund them to at least have a tour to perform. Hence, crowdfunding. I see you. Okay. Troy always comes yeah, with these. He was <laughs> <laughs> like a white elephant. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he always comes with like these little known historical I read a lot. I read a lot. So, <laughs> that's dope. That's dope. I like all right. That. All right. Yeah, so yeah. but back to the crowdfunding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, crowdfunding it, it, as in and it of itself exists, right? It has existed for some time all the way back to the rock band, yeah. right? And to your point, equity crowdfunding came in, right? When you and let's just draw a comparison. Let's take Kickstarter for example. This is a Kickstarter is a company that enables you to run a crowdfunding campaign, right? And so you can put up your project, whether it's a film, whether it's a whatever it is, right? And you can basically promote it, and people will buy in, and maybe you have perks, like you said. Now, 
the difference, right? You talk about equity crowdfunding. There are also platforms, right? So uh, Republic is one that is is probably one of the more popular ones. There's others called WeFunder, um, you know, a few others that uh, you know allow you to have an equity crowdfunding campaign. Now they have to go through a rigorous process to even be set up. But the big difference between those two platforms is that on Kickstarter, if I'm not mistaken, basically anybody can set that up. You can go on there, fill out the thing, and then boom, launch your campaign, and it's up to you, and you have to raise a certain amount to even access the, the capital. For equity crowdfunding, um, because these are technically public offerings, right, of shares in a company, in a private company, um, it has to be sanctioned by the SEC, so it's a very rigorous process. Right. I mean, they dove deep into the financials and all the history of the company. Uh, and then that's how you're able to even be accepted on one of the platforms. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Republic for us. And then and really it's a it's a because basically I don't even know if we said it. What it means is equity crowdfunding enables anybody, non-accredited investors to invest into private companies for as little as you know i think legally the minimum is like ten dollars yeah no that's something that um all right so i, I don't want people to not understand this so because i get i get this question in my dm so often like when i post stuff about like beyond meat and like glyph and all mm -hmm, of these mm -hmm. stuff and i post stories about like Nas and like how he invested early and people are like well how can i invest in these companies early for the most part you really can't right like you said i mean especially on that level it's like angel investors and vcs but even on a small level, it's accredited investors. So you have to be like a, a special kind of person, for lack of a better word, to actually invest. But now it allows the general public, crowdfunding allows the general public to invest in companies on the ground level. Because like you said, off camera, one of the, the main disadvantages is that you get in people that can invest in these companies. And then when they go public, their percentage goes up like a thousand percent. But by the time the general public gets it in the stock market, they've already made their money. They're, they're out. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, out yeah, the game, yeah, right? They, they so, good. and it's, it's interesting because um, probably the most famous in our community person that has done that is Jay Morrison. Mm -hmm. He did a real estate crowdfunding um, with the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. And he, um, same thing, he raised money from a crowd. Um, and I think like over $10 million in a very short period of time. So it was a very successful real estate crowdfunding fund campaign. Um, but it's something for people to understand from two, two aspects of it. From a business owner, it's a way to raise money, right? Because financing is extremely important and it's hard to get bank loans. It's hard to get outside financing. So this is a way for business owners to raise large amounts of money. Now you're giving up equity in it, and we'll talk about that, mm -hmm. but you know, you don't get nothing for something. You always have to right. do something. So, and it's also a way for investors to invest in companies that they believe in and they think that can can blow up because now you might put in $10,000 on a company, but in five years, that company, that percentage might be worth 100,000 because you got it on the ground level. And you guys said something about Ben Horowitz, right? Ben Horowitz, yeah. Horowitz, um, if anybody's not familiar, he's a, a, a tech giant, VC giant, and He's good friends with Nas. He's one of the reasons why Nas is really blowing up. He's kind of like mentored him. Yeah. I read some stuff mm -hmm, about that. Mm -hmm. If anybody's not familiar, Nas is doing his thing with Queensbridge. Queensbridge, uh, yeah. 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 And they, they invest in like Lyft, um, Ring, Ring, um, Pillpack, all a lot of these companies. And um, so 
Ben is is really into hip hop. He's like a, a hip hop head. And Illmatic, from what I understand, is like one of his favorite albums yeah, yeah. ever. My favorite album. So he just he developed. Ben like, Horowitz is not black, by the way. I don't no, know no, no, he's not. Yeah. If you didn't know by the name, if you didn't know by the name, yeah. yeah. So he just so developed. Invited to the barbecue, though, nonetheless. <laughs> so you was, so you were saying that um, <laughs> it was crazy because roughly he he invested like two fifty into Instagram, and then like two years later it was worth like eighty million or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, so I don't have any facts on this. I actually, um, shout out to Chameleon there. If you know, Chameleon there is really, really been winning in the Houston's own, in the, uh, Houston's own yeah, riding yeah. dirty. And you know, he he's been winning in the tech game. And just real quick, you know, he, I mean, we we were talking about a situation that happened. I think 2017 finals, right? And this is where it actually came out that you know. Millionaires, like, yeah, because like, yeah, he, cause yeah, he, yeah, he was, you know, he was courtside, Front row, yeah, yeah, and like in the background of a picture, and it's yeah. like, how many ringtones did he sell to <laughs> yeah. at the finals game, game five, you know, courtside, and people came and said, no, nah, he's been early investor in Lyft, early investor in Ring, you know, early investor in a number of companies that have done well, and so. Um, you know, actually, Chameleon was the one that kind of, you know, put this put this kind of this data out. Now, I don't know, you know, the, the details and specifics on it. So let me make that clear. But there was a very sizable return, you know, in the in the 80s of millions of dollars, you know, based on that initial investments from what I hear. But it, it shows the power of equity ownership. Right. And, and that was, I think, what the what the real point that he was making is that, you know, you have to be able to get in on the ground level. And, and for so long, the price was so much higher than you know most of our folks in, in the community could ever even think about investing and so with the equity crowdfunding that's where because it's coming from a crowd of people you can make that price much lower you know what i mean and so for like for win-win for 250 dollars you can own equity right albeit a, a, a smaller portion compared to somebody that's putting in 25 grand or 250,000. Uh, but, you know, it's all about having a slice of that pie, particularly yeah. if you believe in the company, if you believe in the mission, if you're going to be a consumer of it. Right. And that to your point, the 91 percent that aren't that are non accredited investors, they have to wait until it's already publicly traded to even, you know, have some ownership. Right. Um, imagine being able to do that on the front end. But now you actually can. And that's where uh, the equity crowdfunding to your point comes in where we can raise money, particularly as black founders, we have now an alternative uh, avenue to raise money from, from the crowd versus having to go to a very particular or specific demographic of, of VCs. Yeah. And people, I'm glad you brought that chameleon story up because it highlights a, a problem in the community. So it all started with the, it was like the Golden State Final. Anybody knows finals tickets, they cost a lot of money, like hundreds of thousands, like it's crazy. Not hundreds of thousands, but a lot of money. A lot of money. So he's front row at the finals. Yeah. And it's like a joke. It's like, damn, how many, how much ring sales yeah. did he sell? Like he yeah. hasn't had- Somebody here doesn't belong. Where has he been? 15 <laughs> yeah. years, but little do they know, the guy's been making millions of dollars and in, in, in investing in companies long after his musical career was over. So when they find that out, it's like, now it's not funny anymore, right? So it's like a lot of times we highlight celebrities and entertainers, but like even if you look at that, Jay-Z and Beyonce at the front row, everybody knows them, but they're probably middle class for everybody else in the front row. Like yeah. the guy that got into the fight, nobody knew who he was. He was worth $8 billion. Right. Just a random billionaire. Until he put his hands on the <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> oh, we know how many people that you don't know are just billionaires? Yeah. The one person that you do know 
just became a billionaire. Not this, not you know, no disrespect to J and B. We love them, but that just goes to show you how much money is out there. Yeah, shout oh, out to B. We in, we in the third ward, right? Yeah, is that y'all in the trade oh, yeah, right yeah, now? We, we in the home. We in Beyonce's home. home. <laughs> Beyonce's hometown, right? And, and you know, and that's one. I'm glad you brought that up because when I was in the Bay, right, one of the things that I really actually appreciated, you know, relative to LA, right, is that you didn't know who you was talking to or what you were doing. Like the money was just shown way differently. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you just had people that were just grinding and hustling and building companies. And, you know, you meet a guy just randomly look like, you know, random guy. And it's like, yeah, man, just, you know, just sold my second, <laughs> my second company you know, to Amazon. It's like, whoa, yeah. word, you know what I mean? And uh, drinks on you then, like, you know what I'm saying? It's, and, and, and it's it's just a different, it's a different mindset. And, and to your point, like, you know, like you said, it wasn't funny no more. You know what I mean? And, and tell a different tell joke. A different joke. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and you know, I think that I love the, these examples where you look at you know chameleonaire who and, and that's a great friend. Shout out to Cam. And, and by the way, he's a, he's an entrepreneur as well as, as an investor. He he started his own tech app, tech company called Convos, mm-hmm. which I you know uh, suggest everybody go check out and download. And he's been building and feeding into the community, giving back. You know, and, and, and you got to you got to love that. But you look at, you know, the Beyonce situation, right, where uh, if, if for those who don't know, you know, she essentially passed up a, a cash offer to perform at a big Uber event, passed on six million dollars, as, as the story goes, and wanted uh, equity in exchange. And they gave it to her and then they just recently IPO would and supposedly it's worth somewhere in the three hundred million dollar mm-hmm. range. Right. And again, that's the power of equity because, you know, they IPO, you own shares of the company and now you're able to cash that in. Now, granted, that's on paper, right, that that worth, but she can cash that in and make it. You know know who else has a good equity story? I told this story before, but I never told her on the podcast, so I might as well tell it. 50 Cent. Curtis, Curtis, yeah. Curtis yeah. Jackson. Curtis, yeah, yeah. Shout out to 50. We don't, we, don't owe, we don't owe him any money. Hope, nah, hopefully. Not yet. Not yet. Hopefully. Let's hope not. Hopefully. So everybody knows 50 cents vitamin water. He made like, they say 90, $80 million, right? Because what happened is that um, they he, he had equity. I think like 10% equity stake in the company. Then Coca-Cola bought it for a billion dollars. And then his 10% was worth like $100 million. What they don't know is that, so vitamin water. The guys from vitamin water, they're from Queens. Queens, New right? York. Okay. Queens, so, yeah, so okay. 50, Queens gets the money. Yeah. So 50's from Queens, from Southside. And you know who else is from Queens? Meta World Peace, Ron yeah, Artest. Yeah, yeah. Formerly known as. He's from, <laughs> yeah, he's from Queensbridge, home of Nas and Mob Deep and a bunch of other people. So when the guys that started Vitamin Water, they was looking for somebody from Queens, hometown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they wanted a celebrity. So they approached Ron Artest about being like the face of Vitamin Water, right? He's an athlete. Yeah. Sizable name, sense, right? It's you know at that time. So um, he, they they offered him the same deal, ten percent equity stake, and he wanted two hundred thousand dollars. They didn't have two hundred thousand dollars to actually pay him, so they told him, "Well, we can't give you two hundred thousand, but we can give you ten percent." He turned it down. Fifty Cent took the deal. Just so happened, one year later, Coca Cola brought him for a billion dollars, and that 10% turned into $100 million. So Ron Artest gave up $100 million for $200,000. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Education. Education. He didn't fully understand the power of equity. He's like, no, pay me. You try to pull a fast one on. Right, right, yeah. right. Right? But well, it all comes that- down to education. So now you hear Beyonce say, pay me in equity. So we're starting to fully yeah. understand this, and, and especially in the VC world and in, in, in 
Silicon Valley. I hope I said that correctly. Silicon. Silicon, Silicon man. Silicon Valley. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to know now. <laughs> well, you was going to know anyway. So uh, that's something that's been going on for years, right? Where it takes time and the back end is always more profitable than the front end. Mm-hmm. So now we fully understand this and we need to be fully aware of this. So in that vein, being that you have run a successful equity crowd funding campaign, you're actually still running we're it. We're in it, yeah, we're in it You're still right running now. it right now. All right, somebody has a business and they, they wanna take the same route that you did, right? What are the steps to actually, because I know you said it's a whole process with the SEC, they gotta get approved and all that stuff. Like, what's the steps? Yeah, so the steps is, you know, you, you have to, you essentially can apply, I believe, to the company. Now, we were a little rare. We actually, the, the, you know, the companies reached out to us, like Republic and, and how that got set up. So, but there is kind of a submission process, I believe, where you can be considered. They actually have people on their team that are looking for companies and, and they're trying to say, hey, we think you should do an equity crowdfunding campaign um, because, you know, their model is they make a percentage of what you ultimately raise, right? So they're looking for great companies that they think will do be, be successful. So if you end up finding yourself in a position where, you know, you reach out and, and there's alignment, they do a vetting process themselves, then you're, you're kind of in the game. You got to go through the process of, you know, pulling all your financials, right? You got to go through, it's like I said, it's a very rigorous process. And you, I think the thing you have to make sure that you understand is, what you're what you're kind of getting yourself into right because not and this goes back to even uh and this is probably a whole nother podcast just around the types of funding and who gets that type of funding right because if if you you know depending on your business right there are only a certain type of business certain types of businesses that should be raising money from venture capitalists right because these vcs want to see 10x return like hockey stick growth mm-hmm. right and that's why they're giving you that money if you ain't if you ain't getting that way which is fine right you have other companies that just grow steadily you're profitable you're making money that's a great business but you shouldn't be taking money from kind of the, the investors that we're talking about right in terms of their credit because there's a there's an expectation there but when you when you go back to um you know looking at your business and where you are right i think one of the things that is is key to look at and we looked at this even in our own decision is um how attractive and understandable will it be to the crowd right because you've gotta you gotta resonate with people and and we're building something that we believe touches everybody right you talk about uh sports and and philanthropy and entertainment right uh, my my good friend don dixon said the other night that you know she invested in our company as well and she said that you know win-win operates in two recession-proof businesses, entertainment and sports. People could be doing down yeah, bad and all, all across life, but you're gonna watch that game, you're gonna find a way to you know, get in, in that, into that experience. And so you, know, you gotta think about, is this going to be attractive to the average consumer? That was one thing that I had to really kind of even adjust how we talk about the company, because I'm so used to talking to sophisticated you know, investors that this is what they do. So there are terms and terminology that we can use that they understand very quickly. Whereas you're talking to the crowd, right, through communication or whatever, you gotta kind of break that down. And, and I've been learning, to your point, like the, the big gap in knowledge of what equity actually is, even, even to the point where on the hiring side, one of the things for, for startups is you have little capital usually, so you can offer early employees equity, right? And that's where you get big time companies like, uh, you know, big time engineers at Google, for example, who will leave Google, right, a very cush job and go work at a startup. 
because they're getting some percentage in the equity. So they're saying, I'll pass on that, you know, very well to do job to take equity because I'm going to help build this thing to become whatever that is. Even as we've now come to Houston, there's been conversations with potential employees that who don't necessarily even understand. They're like, nah, like, I, you know, we need this much money. And it's like, well, you know, we'll be a little under market, but we want we can comp that with equity, mm-hmm. which I, now I find myself having to explain actually how valuable that that's that you're the fact that you even have an opportunity to have equity is a big deal. Yeah, and that's what that's why I love these pop culture examples. Beyonce, chameleon there, you know, 50 that yeah, everybody knows and they're showing that, you know, how powerful that is. And now the fact that anybody can get in on that equity. Um, I think is a, is a game changer for mm-hmm. not only our communities. You talk about generating generational wealth and and you know create what you guys talk a lot about financial literacy. When you know better, you do better, right? And I think this is changing the game and opening up those opportunities. One of the things you said, and that's mm-hmm. extremely important, is that even if it's a small, right, like one percent in equity, right, let's say it's two hundred and fifty dollars, like you, that's the initial investment to own a percentage, right. That could turn into fifteen thousand, right? If you if you had more, obviously it turns into more of a profit. But that fifteen thousand can be the startup for you to invest in something else, like your first piece mm-hmm. of real estate or your your first restaurant. How it it, it may be, feel fit for yourself, it's a beginning, right? A lot of people think like it's so small, I can't do it. In Houston, right? You said something earlier about it becoming a tech hub, like it's going to be the Silicon of the South. How, how's the vision for that, right? And Who's, are you the forefront of it? Or are there people out here that are going along on that so, with you? So we're excited. I mean, like we just got down here, you know, two months ago or, or not even. And to be coming down, I, I, you can sense the uh, kind of the fervor in the air of like, you know, this is exciting. Right. Because typically, even with the investors, we got some new investors. Shout out to them, you know, here in Houston that have typically invested only in, you know, oil and gas and energy. So now to have some, you know, innovative, fast growing tech company opportunities uh, has been great for those, you know, kind of traditional investors. But what I'm more proud of is that we can bring this opportunity to everybody from Third Ward to the SWAT, you know, to downtown and the gallery, anybody across the the city and the the country and really the world. That's the great thing about equity crowdfunding. Also, Mm -hmm. you can invest from anywhere in the world. I mean, we got investors in, in Canada, Australia, Africa that have come through on our campaign and it gives everybody that opportunity to, to gain that equity we've been talking about. Uh, it's powerful, man. We want to thank you for coming in. We appreciate you. Um, how can the people contact you, social media, your website, any initiatives that you got going on, win-win information? Yeah, what's, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Yeah, 100%. First, appreciate y'all for, for having me. Um, first and foremost, you know, go get you some equity. Uh, www.republic.co backslash win hyphen win and you'll be able to see our our campaign is live we don't act we actually don't so you're limited on the time so we only have a limited amount of time and once that door closes then there's no more you know non-accredited investors that will be able to invest so i encourage everybody to go check that out again www.republic.co uh, backslash win dash win you'll learn everything about the company nice video and all that good stuff um, me I'm uh, underscore Mike T Brown on Instagram on Twitter uh, you can find me on LinkedIn I'm pretty active there as well um, and yeah try win win is the is the website but just go to republic.co win win and you'll be able to find all the information yeah so. and shout out to the good people of Samoa 
Samoa, right? Samoa, yeah. Samoa is. That's well. another way you gotta say it. Samoa. <laughs> Samoa. Samoa. Yeah. A lot of people just say Samoan. Samoa. Yeah. It's Samoan, just okay. like silicon. Okay. Let me get y'all right. We yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anybody's not familiar, I used to I used to live in Hawaii, and um, so I'm familiar with the the Micronesian Islands and uh, Polynesian Islands, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. very um rich culture. Yeah. Very prideful people, and uh, make up a lot percentage wise um nfl yeah no, percentage. i think NFL, the, i yeah. think the like literally if you were born in samoa played football in samoa in high school like the chances were like 30 40 percent if you if you went to college and play you probably was going to the league yeah that's, that's crazy yeah it's crazy so yeah yep shout out to all you guys <laughs> yeah. appreciate you um troy yeah shout out to everybody on patreon.com backslash earn your leisure um it has been amazing. All our patrons, especially the ones from Houston, they have shown out and and laid the carpet out for us out here, um, and that's that's what uh, Patreon's about. It allows us to travel, allows us to experience this, allows us to highlight hometown heroes in different types of cities. So thank you to everybody. It's our proud to pay program. As you know, we have five different tiers. Uh, you can subscribe at any tier. There's some bonus features, but the real part is being able to connect with people um, mm -hmm. and coming to cities and talking to some hometown heroes who, who need to be highlighted, right? Because like we said, um, even at the event, when we leave, the relationships that you foster with the people who are at the event will last a lot longer Thanks. than just that one night we were there. So shout out to everybody on, on Patreon, uh, everybody that uh, supported us, earnyourleisure.com and, and bought some merch. We had some merch there last night. It, it flew off the tables, man. So shout out to everybody that, that has the merch. Um, and we got some more stuff coming. We got one outstanding Patreon member in Houston, though. Oh yeah, we, Danita, we shouted out Danita on on uh, last episode, but Danita is um, she's outstanding our, member. Outstanding member. She's our number one supporter. Um, we we hung out with Danita and, and her crew out here, and it was she, she didn't she didn't let us pay for anything. Yeah, Word. and that doesn't happen. Where we from? Like every, even like our crew, it was, <laughs> nah, we was like up, they yeah. were like, look, man, this is different. Like we don't get treated like this, especially like women don't buy drinks for us, and mm. that's just not culture. But they said, welcome to Texas. Said your money's no good. It's no good here. Said, welcome I'll to take Texas. Two. Yeah. <laughs> 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 welcome to Texas. So yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. this is that that Southern hospitality that that they've been speaking about. So we about to go get to it right after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah, shout out to her. She's an entrepreneur out here too. So shout out to her. And she said her mom is a huge fan too. Yeah, so shout yeah, out to her mom and her whole crew. So my book tip for the week is Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Harwitz. We actually just spoke about him. Um, and once again, a lot of times people hit me up about my uh, financial advising business. So my calendar is on earnyourleisure.com. You can book a 30-minute consultation for retirement planning, um, business planning, estate planning. You got inheritance, investment, stuff like that. So 30-minute free consultation. My calendar is up there. And we got to give a shout-out to executive producer of our show, somebody that you might not have ever seen before. But yeah. Michael McDonald, he actually does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And he's helped me out with my Instagram page. Yeah. And um, he does. He has, a, he has his own company, Michael Media Group. So if you need any videos done or pictures or social media consultant or any type of stuff like that, um, check him out. Yeah, he does it all. Yeah, Michael J. McDonald on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, check him out. So thank you guys for rocking with us, and we'll see you next week. Peace. 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 Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.